Hello, and welcome back to Kessel Run Relay, a Star Wars podcast. As a reminder, our episodes will be dropping bi-weekly for the foreseeable future at the beginning of the week, and you can follow us on social media. Our links will be in the description. This week, we're finishing up our From a Certain Point of View series with our grand finale, From a Certain Point of View, Return of the Jedi. We're joined by some amazing guests and are so excited for the discussion to come. Before we get into that, hi, my name is Hayden. I use she, her pronouns. You can find me on TikTok at Taika.YTD, on Twitter and Instagram at MCUYTD, and on Hive at ValanceLovers69. I don't know if we're still using that. Um, but my brainworm of the week is the same one from a couple of weeks ago. Um, the va- the singular, val- well, the two Valance mentions in the, <laughs> the chapter Reputation by Tara Sim. And there's a sequel to that now that I guess I didn't pick up when I read the preview, but it's the reference to Dengar being marooned on an iceberg by Boba Fett in War of the Bounty Hunters. <laughs> it it made me giggle so profusely when I read it. It truly a gift. <laughs> so, Claire, why don't you go next? Hi, I'm Claire. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am on TikTok and Twitter at Claire Kreese. Um, My brainworm of the week, spoilers for the literal first sentence of Tales of Light and Life, is Axel Greylark was dying. Oh my god. Um, which also, embarrassingly enough, is the only part of the book I've read because I was like, finally going to start reading it before class yesterday and I opened it and read that and started laughing and then my professor showed up and I was like cool um (laughs) but it's off to a great start and I haven't stopped thinking about that in the last like 48 hours so valid of you (laughs) (laughs) all right our very last special guest why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself hi everyone uh I'm Tom Holler uh senior editor at Random House Worlds and worked on from a certain point of view return of the Jedi and super excited to be here um, my pronouns are he and him, uh, and you can find me on social media on uh, Twitter and on Blue Sky at Darth Internus. Um, my brainworm for the week, um, my brainworm for the week is the first chapters of both uh, of two future Star Wars books, and they are my brainworms because I'm working on them right now. So it is Ooh. the first chapter of uh, Tessa Grattan's Temptation of the Force which is coming out next year. And also the first chapter of John Jackson Miller's The Living Force, oh my uh, which gosh. is coming out in April. Uh, <laughs> both of those first chapters are absolute bangers. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I've been thinking about them a lot as I edit them and as we review them. Uh, so, you know, bookmark this conversation <laughs> and you can come back to them in April and next uh, summer, respectively. Oof. Yeah, I when I heard John Jackson Miller was coming back and writing another novel for Star Wars, I was so excited because the Kenobi novel, I have my Kenobi novel right here on like my Legends bookshelf, tabbed up to the max. I love that book so much. And what happened to Oren Galt still haunts me to this day. I love his writing. I, I'm just excited to see what he does in this kind of pre-prequels era in this kind of transition between the last kind of days of the High Republic and then we're moving into The Phantom Menace. So I guess that counts as that we can kind of get into what happened in the past two or three weeks. Um, Something else that happened, Tales of Light and Life came out. It got an early release at San Diego Comic-Con and then it was released to the general public last 
two Tuesdays ago on the 5th. So I, I read this in like three or four days, which is miraculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoyed all of the Luminous authors coming back and doing kind of like a, a little blurb for their respective characters, I guess. One of the standouts for me was the the cabin chapter where he, I won't say anything, but it it hits it hits home. <laughs> anything happen to you, Claire? <laughs> Um, well, as I said, I am, I have just started Tales of Light and Life, and by that I mean I barely started, um, but that's my plans for this weekend. Um, oh my god, Hayden, I forgot to tell you I read the first two issues of Hunger in the Dusk, so. Finally! Oh my god. <laughs> I am obsessed with that miniseries. It's, like, unhealthy. Oh <laughs> it's, like, the perfect mix of fantasy and romance and kind of horror aspects, I guess, just G. Willow Wilson, you will always be famous. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good. And I needed, like, I haven't read anything that's, like, high fantasy in a while. Neither. And so this was, like, the perfect thing. It's so good. Mm-hmm. No, that and Saga really kind of have me on a fantasy yeah. right now. Which, speaking of Saga, issue 20 is coming out next week. I now <laughs> have, like, five days to finish. <laughs> Come on. I believe in you. You, I can, you can read it, it in five days. Yeah. I believe in you. <laughs> what about you, Tom? Anything exciting happened in the past two or three weeks? <laughs> um, uh, other than getting to read and edit those two books simultaneously, which they continue to be edited and worked on, they're both shaping up great. Uh, I found out that I am moderating a New York Comic Con panel. Uh, so, oh, um, honestly, I actually am moderating a New York Comic Con panel about from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. Ooh. We are going to get a bunch of the authors together, six of them to be exact, are going to join me at a panel at New York Comic Con um, on Thursday afternoon. It's on the New York Comic Con website if you go check it out. And what's going to be cool is I'm going to moderate an hour-long panel between them. We're all going to chat about their stories, the other stories in the book. We'll probably scream about which stories made us laugh and cry and scream and all those things. And then after <laughs> the panel, we're actually going to go and there will be a signing with all six of those authors. So folks who come to the panel or come to the signing will get to like meet all six of the authors get their books signed by a you know a chunk of the contributors um and i just found that out so that's super exciting fun not at all nervous not at all panicking about having to be <laughs> perceived and moderate a panel um it'll be a good time do you know if it will be live streamed or recorded by any chance i don't know that um i do know that there are a number of very intrepid folks um very diligent wonderful dedicated people in the star wars uh, book community who are <laughs> really great at like live tweeting and like aggregating oh, yeah. those panels even the ones that aren't recorded um, but i don't know yet if that one is going to be um recorded or live streamed in any way my guess is probably not live streamed maybe recorded for like posting later um, mm-hmm. but if i find out i will let folks know so check out my social media if you're interested in that and i will be sure to elucidate once i find out gosh i hope it's not live stream that will be even more stress <laughs> <laughs> well dang now i have fomo <laughs> no literally me too <laughs> it's gonna be fun like could i get tickets for that probably not is it within the first two weeks of the new school wo- school year yeah However, I did go to London for a week in my first week of school for for a celebration this year. So what could go wrong? 
Exactly. It's only across the country, not across the world this time. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> All right, before we get into our section on From a Certain Point of View, Return of the Jedi, again, Kessel Run Relay would like to restate our full support for the ongoing concurrent WGA and SAG after strikes against unfair labor practices and unlivable wages. We encourage our listeners to donate to the strike funds located in the description of this episode and continue showing your support online, um, at picket lines, anywhere you can. So thank you again for listening, and let's move into some fun stuff. So the past couple of episodes, we've had kind of a recap on what the series is like about, or just general concepts, ideas, but now we have the editor of the book series. So, I mean, we'd love to ask you some questions. Yeah. Awesome. I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the previous two episodes hearing what all of you thought about the different stories, the ones that made you like break out in a cold sweat or like (laughs) have, you know, a strong emotional reaction. And I will tell you that many of the stories that you all called out were the stories that like for me and the rest of the editorial team were the stories that like broke us down or really got to (laughs) us when we were making those books. Um, Like the space slug story from- Oh my uh, gosh. From a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back. yeah, so that it's been really wonderful to to follow um, you all reading the series. Well, kind of in the same vein of that, what was the process, or like, what kind of an approach did you take in allowing the writers to kind of choose the characters, whose point of view they were writing from? Yeah, so one of the cool things about this project, one of the things I love about it so much, is that we were always really cognizant about wanting to make this as author centric a set of stories as possible to give as much choice and as much leeway to the authors in choosing the scenes that they wanted to tie into the characters that they wanted to use and the stories they wanted to explore so we came up with just like a couple very simple rules that we gave everybody and the simple rules were first of all you can't use any of who we consider the main characters of the original trilogy so no luke no leia no han no darth vader and really no um C-3PO R2-D2. And of course, you can argue that movie to movie, there are some other characters who are like main characters, but we didn't want to get like too prescriptive about it. Like it's pretty, you could argue pretty well that like eh, Palpatine's kind of a main character in Return of the Jedi and Lando's a main character in probably both Empire and Return of the Jedi. We didn't want to get like too restrictive. So we picked those five um, or one, two, three, four, uh, six. uh, And we uh, said, okay, can't use them. Uh, and then the only other real rule, the only other two rules that really said was the character that you have to pick and the scene you pick has to be related to the film in some way. You can pick a character who's not actually in the film or at the very least is not on camera as a bunch of um, people did. But you, as long as we can create an, an interesting reason or a strong justification for like, well, even though the camera's not on them, they're like just off screen or they're <laughs> in this larger scene we see the camera just never finds them. Um, so as long as that was the case, cool, that tethers them to the film because it's about celebrating the anniversary of a movie, right? Um, and then the last thing is just like, once a character has been chosen, we can't choose them again. So when somebody chooses to do an Obi-Wan Kenobi story, we can't have another Obi-Wan Kenobi story in the anthology. He could appear in other stories, but once their POV is chosen, like that's it. And really beyond that, those were all the rules. So it allowed a lot of the, pretty much every author to really kind of go wild with imagining whatever story they could possibly want to tell. Like what was the burning story for them? What was the scene that they had to unpack? Um, and it gave them a lot of leeway. Um, and then the last thing we did was like sort of the traffic cop 
of making traffic cop thing of just being like, we can't have 40 stories set in Jabba's palace, right? We <laughs> need to celebrate the whole film. We cannot have 40 Ewok stories. I mean, we could, but that's a different project. Um, we cannot have 40 stories set on Hoth. And so just every once in a while balancing and pushing people towards exploring different parts of the film. But it was really cool. And the best part about that approach was that the choices that people made about their stories were always so surprising and definitely way better than if like me and the editorial team had just sat down and be like, all right, let's figure out the 40 stories and then we'll assign them. No, they always exceeded our wildest imaginations. See the space slug or the cave. Like who, who's gonna decide to do a story about a cave? Only the wonderful Tracy Dean. Um, yeah, so in that kind of spirit of collaboration um, and organizing that kind of large collaborative literary piece, like for from certain point of view series, what advice did you give the authors? Again, kind of tied back to that last question, writing for the novel, or how did you help kind of guide them in a sense? Um, so sometimes it was really direct in that some authors would come to us and say, "Hey, you know, just." What are the, what is the possibility space? And some of the authors would actually ask, could you just make me a list of 20 potential characters that I can at least start with? Because, you know, sometimes choice can be overwhelming. So some people, mm -hmm. you know, work a little better with just like a guideline. But more broadly, the advice that we gave every author is the same advice that we give authors who are writing full novels or series, which is we say, we didn't, we didn't bring you in to write just any Star Wars story or to write the Star Wars story that we want. We brought you in to write your Star Wars story because only you can write it. You're a, you're a unique talent, unique voice, unique experience, unique background, unique connection to the material. So write your story because that will be the best. That will be your best Star Wars story is if you're writing yours. You're not trying to write someone else's. You're not trying to mimic another author. You're not trying to like recreate a version of a story you've already seen somewhere else. So it was really encouraging every author to like really push their voice and their perspective on Star Wars and bring it into the galaxy. Um, and then particularly with an anthology like this, like really pushing people to like, tell a weird story. That's cool. Weird stories work. Star Wars is awesome when it's weird. Like, don't be afraid <laughs> to get weird. Don't be, don't be afraid to like push, to really trying to push the forms, especially because it's short fiction. You can do a lot of really interesting things in short fiction. Um, and so it was mostly just encouraging authors to like not be afraid of really pushing and reaching for the story they wanted to tell. And you know, if they got a little off track or if it just didn't work, that's fine. That's what a, an editor and the other members of the team, that's what our jobs is to help people kind of pull back or, or, or you know, redirect themselves to get to where they need to go. Yeah, and especially on that last note, how you mentioned like the collaboration between the editorial team and the, the writers, I mean, all, 120 minus a few who um who double maybe even triple dipped you have like uh, 108 unique authors oh my gosh so that accounts for the folks like jason fry who've yeah. written multiple times or adam christopher yeah yeah um so in the spirit of working with those 108 unique writers how does that kind of collaboration between again the editorial and the writers um how does that feel for the specifically the from a certain point of view novels how does that impact you and do you feel like it embodies the collaborative nature like all of the different departments working together uh, just in the star wars universe do you think it kind of embodies that yeah i mean it's it's it is indicative of the way that we make all the stories but just more of it and 
all at the same time. So it's the way that we make all of our stories, but 40 times simultaneously, <laughs> right? Um, and it's super awesome. It's one of the best things about working on things like Star Wars stories is the remarkable collaborative nature of the process between the all the various editorial folk and the authors in pinging each other back and forth with all sorts of wild ideas or wild concepts. And then the author kind of coalescing them to a story and then everyone looking at that story and saying, oh my gosh, this is great, but like, yes, and like, like we could, if we turn this dial on the story, the story will be an even better version of itself. Or, oh my gosh, you just made me realize we could do this and tie this in. And all of that's super fun and getting to do it 40 times simultaneously <laughs> uh, is ridiculous um, and, and a remarkable amount of work. Um, but is also super fun, particularly because then you start to also see all these different authors being like, hey, I saw that person's doing that kind of story over there. I want to add a sentence to my story that like dovetails our stories together. Or like, I heard that this author is working on this character and I'm working on this other character who are kind of closely in contact with each other. Uh, me and that author like have already talked a little bit and we're going to like tie these things into our stories so that they more you know closely knit together. And so it really is like probably as indicative as possible as of the larger collaborative effort and spirit that goes into all of Star Wars publishing. And it's just like distilled into this pure form in this anthology. Yeah. And especially when you mentioned the how the authors kind of communicate with each other and have their stories like quote unquote dovetail. One of that one of those kind of instances that stands out to me is in the Nora Wexley the Lando chapters, the Nora Wexley chapter, and the Wedge chapter. Um, they all kind of follow, they all have events that happen like in the same kind of sphere and at the same time, like the card game. I I saw someone tweeting about this today, but I love when Lando plays Sabacc. I, big Lando fan, just, it shows a lot about his character and I just I, I absolutely love that. And I love the connectivity between the different stories that kind of weave this whole thing together. So, oh, go ahead. No, isn't it? It's super lovely and awesome. And what's great is for as much as a lot of that is intentional, some of it also it, it has happened on all three of the anthologies it happened every single time where, you know, we're, we're giving every author as much space as possible to tell their story, also making sure we're connecting things and making things cohesive. But there is also this magic that has happened with every single anthology, which is stories and storytellers who really did not interact during the development process and who there was not a lot of like, oh, I'm doing this, why don't you do this sort of between them, end up still writing these stories which beautifully intersect thematically or in terms of the character voices. And it's this almost like unintentional magic that happens uh in in the stories and so seeing that when it's both intentional and sort of unintended um is like really really thrilling really thrilling and the fact too that with this third book it's not just happening within this anthology but it's happening with stories from the previous two because there were some mm -hmm. authors who are like i saw what that author did in the first fact pov i want to write a story that's actually in conversation with that story and they're like bridging the whole series um which was really cool yeah, so, I mean, you just kind of talked about this a little bit, but how do you personally feel working on not only the fact pops, the fact pop books, but just Star Wars books in general and helping to tell more stories connected to the films who have impacted, I mean, everybody here and quite literally billions of other people around the world? It's cool. 
Um, I call it, I, it is a, um, a remarkable privilege um, because I, I can look back and literally count the number of people who have worked on Star Wars books in an editorial capacity in the 40, you know, seven-ish years that there have been Star Wars books. Like I can count that number and that number is not a big number. Like we could all go to dinner together. It'd be a pretty big table, but like we could all go have dinner together in theory. And so to know that I am just one of a small number like that is a remarkable privilege. And I call it a, like a custodianship. It's just like something that you are a custodian of and it's your job to not break it and to keep it in good condition and hopefully keep it improved and then give it to somebody else and let them be the custodian of. But it's really thrilling and it's really cool. Um, and in no small part because uh, I, you know, absent all of that stuff, it's like Star Wars personally means quite a lot to me. And so in knowing how much it means to me, knowing that I get to contribute in the, you know, tiniest, most, you know, minuscule way to telling more stories in Star Wars and to pushing that forward um, is like really remarkable. It never gets old. It's cool. I've been doing it for almost a decade now. I've been doing it for just over nine years. And like, it never gets old, never gets boring, and never gets less exciting than the first day I started doing it. So um, it's very awesome. It's very awesome. And this last question is just a, a little bit self-indulgent, but is there a particular story or a character whose story you'd like to see told in the future from a certain point of view series? Hmm. I've never really given this any thought, mostly because I'm not a writer myself. So I never really <laughs> sit down and be like, well, if I was going to write one of these stories, because I'm not a writer, I'm an editor. <laughs> um, I, so I don't have anyone specific. And in large part too, because many of the stories that I have been so thrilled by in the series are stories that if you had given me a hundred guesses, I just never would have guessed somebody was going to choose. I, you could have given me a hundred guesses and I never would have guessed that someone was going to choose to write about the cave on Dagobah. Just, just never would have occurred to me. You could have given me a bunch of guesses and I never would have guessed that someone was going to write about the guy who gets kicked by Luke Skywalker during the escape from Jabba's palace. Um, all of the stories that have surprised me in those ways are ones I could not have fathomed. So it's, it's hard for me to like imagine, like I, I would, I, I, you could never could have guessed that someone would have written a story the way Alex Freed did, Alexander Freed did for Empire Strikes Back, the, the homeless man who is the king of Bespin, the king of Cloud City, who is you know, trying to escape. Like, and so I can't fathom like a lot of those stories. So it's hard for me to choose one. Um, uh, it, it's hard for me to to choose one um, because I think that that's the best part of this anthology is when you get an author who's just like, I got an idea for a story. It's about Wedge, but it's about fake Wedge. And then you go, Jason Fry, what are you talking about? But please go write that story immediately because I need to understand <laughs> what it is. Um, so. And I think, I think that's what really makes this series special is just the kind of crazy stuff that people come up with like who would think to write a story about the point of view from the point of view of the Dianoga and the trash compactor I, I think just the series as a whole has really just expanded the creativity of Star Wars in a way that other anthologies previously may not have been able to do in such a large capacity with such a large group of authors and I mean it's just a testament to I mean again your work the editorial team the writers and just expanding this kind of 
crazy world of Star Wars into something even crazier. Thank you. Yeah, it's cool. It's uh, it was a real labor of love. We when we did the first one, I think we we're all just like, yeah, we're gonna do one of these, and then we <laughs> did it, and we we're like, oh no, well not oh no, but like, oh, people <laughs> liked it. I guess we should do another one, and then we did the second one, and we we're like, well, we gotta finish out at least the trilogy, right? Um, but it really just started as this like wild idea of like, well, we don't know if this is gonna work, and this might be way too much work. So it's awesome to see that people cared about it enough that we could carry it through to do um you know 120 stories with 108 authors in six <laughs> years um which are just bonkers numbers in six years i didn't realize wow <laughs> yeah 2017 to 2023 uh you know oh it, the first one obviously is developed a little starting kind of around the tail end of 2016 but yeah mm. it's basically about six years um, wow yeah. that's I, I got to give you a round of applause. I can't do that in the microphone because it'll blow our <laughs> eardrums out. But <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving into our kind of section about from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. You can see she's all tapped up. Um, We usually start off with our honorable mentions. And I have quite a few, but I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. So Claire, why don't you start us off with your honorable mentions? I just want to say I'm so pumped for this. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> okay, well, first, I just have to mention because Leah had this in hers, and I was like, cool, I don't need to bring it up. But now she's not here. Trooper Trouble. Oh, so funny. And also, I like I listened to the audiobook rather than reading the physical book, and it's narrated by Adam Scott, who I'm obsessed with. Um <laughs> so funny but yeah because it was originally on my list and leah had it on hers and i was like okay like i don't need to double it up but it has to be mentioned um anyway my first like actual honorable mention <laughs> never thought this one would make it onto my list not like any shade to the story itself but I, then i read it and i was like oh my god this was life-changing um so the story's called everyone's a critic by sarah glenn marsh and it's about salacious v crumb which like never in my life would i've been like this random story about salacious v crumb is gonna be like one of my favorite stories in the book and also one of the ones that made me the most emotional because every other story about that because this also pertains to like jabba's death and there's a lot of stories about like various people who work in jabba's palace um but this one was very different because salacious v crumb is like his like dog almost like in the way that a dog would do literally anything for their humans like that is how he is about Jabba the Hutt which is crazy um and so this is like Jabba's death from that perspective which is obviously a very different perspective because who else in the galaxy is like broken up over the fact that Jabba the Hutt died um but it was really emotional because like he literally the whole story is him being like okay I like this is my new like friend now. I'm gonna I have to do whatever I can for him. And then when he dies, it's kind of this like half understanding again in the way that like animals have very different perceptions of like what death and dying mean than humans do, which is something very randomly that I think is very interesting. Um, and so it's like not complete comprehension beyond the fact that like, oh, I'm never going to like interact with this person again. 
Um, but yeah, it was like really emotional. And I was like, not that I'm like, need to be sad about Jabba dying because he was the worst, but like, I am sad that his little friend is alone now. <laughs> and it was just really well written, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that was my first one. <laughs> That's really what I love, Claire, about what you just elucidated about that story is the way in which Sarah is able to tell a story from the perspective of a creature that is not like a human or not a humanoid. And so the emotions and the way that they relate to things should not be exactly the way like a human does, right? It has to feel a little other. And the fact that she was able to make it feel like that of, in this case, sort of, you know, an animal you mentioned, like a dog or something like that is... I think one of the things that makes a story like that really work, because if he just sounds like a human, then he's not really a creature, right? Then it's just like a, a human with a funny name. But being able to tap into that part that is not quite human, that little bit of other that a creature like Salacious would be, um, I think makes that story work. So it's super cool that you picked up on that. Mm -hmm. um, do you want me to do my next one or do you want to do one of yours? <laughs> I can, I'll just rapid fire. I have. I have six, but they're just very quick. Um, so. I have 40, but you know, it's like, yeah, just all I think I did manage to limit myself down to four, which was impressive for me. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I, we, will... I think it was when we did A New Hope, I had like eight, and I was like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> a New Hope, I, I think I had like six or seven. <laughs> I, I promised, I, I told myself that if I was allowing myself six, I wouldn't go super in depth. So this is me um, just rapid fire. So the first one I, I want to mention is The Battle of Nanta by Sarah. Is it Sarah Kun? I might have gotten my yes, chapters mixed Sarah up. Kun. It is. Okay, awesome. Uh, I just wanted to link it back to our A New Hope episode, kind of. And this is a story about storytelling. And the story, the, the way that Ewoks tell stories is kind of emphasized in the movie when... Um, when C-3PO is tell like basically telling it's it's basically replaying Star Wars for the Ewoks. And to to kind of learn about this tradition in the Ewok kind of I don't want to say hive, but the village and how it's a really, really big honor to kind of chronicle these stories. Shout out to the chronicler. Um and preserve them for future generations and how he was able to do that fun fact i was watching this on a plane while return of the jedi was happening so i had like just finished this story and then nanta died in the movie i i couldn't know i could be so upset about that but anyway i just wanted to shout it out because once again it is a story about storytelling <laughs> um the next one i want to shout out reputation by tara sim for my beloved Valence oh, mention. I had no idea this was going to be on <laughs> I know, it's really out of the blue. Uh, but I I was at breakfast with Liv after my 21st birthday when this chapter dropped. I had a visceral, like, body spasm reaction. <laughs> and even Liv was like, hey, did we're in public? <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't control it. But... I much enjoyed the references back to War of the Bounty Hunters. Like, there was the mention about Jakara. Um, again, Dengar getting stranded on an iceberg. Um, I just love when Star Wars books refer back to comics. It's like my little avenue. <laughs> um, and then I'll do one more. 
the last one I'll mention is The Veteran by Adam Lance Garcia. I mean, I've seen so many people talking about this this chapter in particular because, I mean, we all know Dexter Jetster was a staple of the High Republic and High Republic Adventures. And I love the fact that he mentioned that his diner, which unfortunately closed due to just imperial inflation, I guess, how he referred back to the style of his diner as like the great works style which i thought was a fantastic high republic connection that i like really never considered like wait what if this is like an entire style of architecture within star wars fascinating and the it, it really got me thinking specifically about like what happened on coruscant because i mean we have the prologue of aftermath we have the the epilogue of return of the jedi kind of the the scene that was um was kind of wedged in and then i mean we have also the kind of episode of the mandalorian where they go into like the new republic and they talk about the statue that was standing there but it it, it was just a fantastic story and it was a really kind of in- introspective look at breaking the cycle of the violence that had that palpatine had palpatine had perpetrated <laughs> Um, for, I mean, like 20, 30 years at this point. Um, yeah. oh, go ahead. So good. I, yeah, well, like towards the end of the book, so many of them I love just because it's like when the empire is actively collapsing and like what happened then, which is why like I was so, I mean, amongst a lot of other reasons, so excited for this edition of from a certain point of view in particular because it all leads up to that moment um and this story was like the perfect like okay we're like the rebels are winning it's great but like there is yeah an aftermath to that and it like mm-hmm. is uh-huh. just be like listen <laughs> it's not just gonna be like oh we won like everything's sunshine and rainbows um and so it's kind of a weird like a interesting like oh, this is towards the end when we have like reached the point of victory, but it's not through and through like a positive story. If I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, no, totally. Um, Claire, your second honorable mention. Um, So my second one is towards the beginning and it's Dune Sea Songs of Salt and Moonlight. Um, Wow, it's about this woman named Jess who is like a performer and like a waitress at Jabba's palace um I okay first of all I love this story because this is what I was talking about before with like we have a lot of stories obviously in Jabba's palace people whose lives were like greatly impacted by Jabba most of the time in negative ways because I mean that's just how it is um but a lot of them like I love the focus that was drawn to like obviously Leia being the one to kill Jabba is like a huge moment but the impact that that had on so many people and like the way that a lot of these people felt so indebted to her for what she did and this story is about like one particular person who in the grand scheme of things you like would overlook you know like she just is one of the like many many people who works around Jabba's palace you know you wouldn't think too much of it but like the amount that her life was changed by Leia killing him and like it's not just her it's literally everybody else who had ever 
interacted with him and then even beyond that like his there's such a wide scope of like his impact on the galaxy and it like was a galaxy changing event when Leia killed him um and I yeah once again love that this drew focus to the fact that like she was the one who did that and she was not the only one who like there were a lot of people who wanted to kill him but at the end of the day it was her like that's there was also like the Bib Fortuna story where he was like I'm gonna kill Jabba today and then he was like oh so we'll be to it (laughs) (laughs) that was also very good um also the story was just very emotional and like really fleshed out this character um Jess who like had a really meaningful story contained to this one short story um anyway my next one is The Last Flight by Allie Hazelwood um also so good really really emotional like I really was about to cry um but it's this sort of like thing of like when people people who think that the conflict between like the empire and the rebels doesn't affect them or it's like you know like what are we gonna do about it um and the main character being the one who's like no I am gonna do something about it I'm gonna join the rebellion and her like girlfriend back home being like okay you do you but like I'm gonna stay here because like this is bigger than me and then at the end of her like life literally because she ends up dying um which was very sad and I dang uh, um being like this is my chance to like actually do something good and and help the cause um in my own way on like on my own home planet um because like no even like the farthest planets in the outer rim like no planet is outside of the scope of the empire even if they think that they are um yeah I don't know this one was just really emotional really well written really good characters I feel like that's common to literally every single story though (laughs) um and then my last one which I was also shocked that this did not end up in my top three it was and then at the very like towards the very end there was a different story that like just pushed it down um is No Contingency by Fran Wilde oh Mon Mothma story like we knew it was going to be there I love Mon Mothma as everyone knows I talked about the other Mon Mothma stories um this was a really good story for her um it explored a lot of the things that I think are very interesting about her character in terms of like her place in the rebellion and she has a lot of like inner conflict about like she's never really the one on the front lines like she's never the one in the cockpit like doing the physical fighting and she sometimes is like is it morally right for me to like send these people into battle when and then like whenever something goes wrong it's like oh mon mothma quick let's like get you to like the bunker or whatever like you we can't have anything happen to you while like so many people are dying and so in this story she is like herself on a mission that is vital to the future of the rebellion obviously and like she could die um and she doesn't even the one thing that like really stuck out to me is she doesn't really know how to like fly a ship by herself like that is the thing that she has to like figure out in this story and it's so interesting because she is like one of the most capable people in the entire galaxy but like we're so used to characters who are like pilots and and soldiers and we're like you don't know how to fly a ship but like why would she know how to fly a ship because she 
was a politician she was a senator like when would she have had to fly her own vehicle um and it's such like a little thing but it's so like she feels so removed from the people who are doing like the on the ground day-to-day work of the rebellion and so she gets put in this situation of like she's the one like literally going out and doing the physical work that needs to be done it's very interesting and yeah as always with her stories are always very like give us a better look inside her head um which again as someone who loves her character a lot I think it's, it's so good to see that perspective on her I think both of the Mon Mothma stories in A New Hope and in From Certain Point of View, New Hope and Return of the Jedi, um, they really do flesh out her character a lot. And I, I think the Mon Mothma story was one of my top five or top three. I can't remember if it was honorable mention or top three or five. I don't remember. But it's such a fascinating look into Mon Mothma because at least in the context of the of the movies, we only see her for literally like, point two seconds for the speech right before the battle of endor and a lot of i think criticism i guess that came up with andor in and like her kind of status with the rebellion is like she has to she basically has to live in secrecy up until the point where she defects from the empire and works for the rebellion full-time and she has to do basically so much, and especially like in the from her point of view stories, we see a lot of that guilt and her mindset into having to grapple with being this kind of vision of the rebellion's future and what a new republic would look like. And I feel like Alexander Free did a fantastic job in from a certain point of view in New Hope because he, I feel like he does really well with kind of balancing the political intrigue with the humanity of these characters and in no contingency fran wilde did a great job kind of setting it up and um and again getting mom mothma to grapple with those circumstances and the cards she was dealt and i unfortunately wasn't able to make room for the mom mothma story in my honorable mentions but i really really did enjoy that story because we did get many bothans died to bring us this information in a way which kind of is the from a certain point of view mantra throughout. <laughs> yeah, this story too is one of those great examples of like when Fran came aboard to work on the series and was like, I'd love to do Mon Mothma story. She was like, I know about the Alexander Freed story from the first one and was very much like, I want to explore what this moment is like in, in, in contrast to that moment, which is why her story is called No Contingency and his was called Less Contingency. It's a very intentional nod to looking at, oh, yet another moment with a Death Star and what's going to happen to me. And Mon kind of wanting to be like, I know that I kind of have to do that, but like, I don't want to do that again, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And especially at this moment, if you imagine that she's been doing stuff with the pre rebellion into the actual formal rebellion for a really long time to be like, you know, I have, you know, I can't just, as you were saying, like, I can't just stand here and give the orders for all the things that are going to happen. Like I I need to feel a part of that in a way that I haven't been able to, um, which was really cool. Yeah. Any piece of Bon Mothma that I will get, I will read. I love her 
her rebellion i love her appearances in the rebellion one shot i love her kind of stints in the star wars title from charles soul just give me all the mon mothma please <laughs> um but moving into my final honorable mentions which one haven't i mentioned oh uh the first one that i won't talk about too much is wolf's track not wolf track wolf's trap excuse me by Alyssa wong who gives us a delightfully twisted creepy horror-ish look at this scout trooper that's been captured by the ewoks and he's kind of hallucinating and i love the the syllogism kind of of the the wolf gnawing its leg free and him the spoilers for this one cutting his pinky off so his hand can fit through the ropes um i feel like Alyssa does a lot of kind of gritty things like that and I love this edition, especially with the kind of popular culture um, notion that the Ewoks ate the stormtroopers or the scout troopers or whatever. So I feel like it was really fun that they kind of expanded on that and added that kind of suspenseful horror element to it. And then finally, this is two honorable mentions in one, but I love when Star Wars is sapphics. So I have to shout out The Last Flight by Ali Hay. Allie Hazelwood, which Claire already mentioned, and the extra 5% by MK England, because I love when Star Wars is sapphics and makes me sad. <laughs> the, the extra 5%, man. <laughs> oh my god. That was another one where I was like, I really want to squeeze this into my honorable mentions, but there's too many good ones, but it's so good. <laughs> I because remember th these are new characters so they could die at any moment i was like please please just I was so, stay I was alive because so by this point in the book i was like the amount of stories i have read that ended with somebody dying like i know I thought that it was going to happen and so i was so like pleasantly surprised by the fact that mm -hmm. they actually got to live i know one of the kind of tropes in just popular culture as a whole is I'll tell you when I get back and then they die and then they never get to tell you. So the whole time I, I thought that was going to happen and I was going to be sad. But then there was a pleasant kind of turning it over on its head where they did make it back alive. And I, I just I just love sapphics. <laughs> What's what's really great about that particular story and the way that that one came about is um, the wonderful M.K. England, who wrote that story, who's a big fan of pilot stories and X-wings and you know Y-wing uh, stories overall, pointed out, you know, she's like, if you watch Return of the Jedi, you see this character, and you can see them during the briefing scene, and you can see them during the celebration scene on Endor, and they're wearing an X-wing pilot outfit. We never see them during the fight, but they had to have been in the fight, but they clearly survived because we see them before and after. So that's the character that I want to tell because we could do all sorts of fun things, but I know they made it. You know, I know they made it, you know, uh, they made it through. And it, I think it'd be really cool to tell this story about this character who is absolutely a blink if and you will miss them character who just walks across the back of a frame like twice at, at two poles of the film um so that's where the idea for like that particular character use came from and we we're like well they, we know they survived so cool we get to tell a happy ending pilot story because you're right a lot of the pilot stories in particular a lot of the stories but a lot of the pilots are not necessarily happy endings because there is a lot of attrition at that particular battle as there is in like a new hope most of the, the pilot characters in a new hope die as well um, so it was cool that she, uh, that MK found that particular character. They were like, I know nothing about that character, but I see them in two places and I'm <laughs> going to connect those two. 
And I think that's the beauty of a series like From a Certain Point of View is that when you see something small like that, you can basically breathe life into that character like MK England did with this literally background character. And I know, I think it must be on YouTube somewhere, but there's an entire deleted scene of the female X-Wing and A-Wing pilots um, from the Battle of Endor. I, I think there is. I'm, I hope I didn't hallucinate it. But just the those characters hearing their stories, especially from someone who kind of noticed them and wanted to bring attention to them, is just very special. And I enjoyed both of the stories very, very much. <laughs> With that, we can get into our top three. So, Claire, why don't you tell us the number three top story? All right. My number three story is When Fire Marked the Sky by Emma Miko Candon. Oh, Wedge, I love you so much. (laughs) They could write anything and I would read it. Like, I knew this story was going to be my top three. I I was honestly surprised that it wasn't number one. Like, I was like, what (laughs) could possibly be this out? But we'll get there. Um... (laughs) And it's about Wedge Antilles, too, who I love. Um, I feel like I don't talk about him enough, but I really love him. Um, He is very interesting because he, like, I don't know, we always think of, like, you know, like, Luke Han, Leia, Lando, like, these are kind of the people we think of as, like, the heroes of the Rebellion. But, like, he also is, and it's just because he's not as much of a focus in the movies. But, like, then we, there were a lot of stories in this book of, like, you know, like, rebel pilots, intelligence officers, whoever who are like oh my gosh like I'm working with Wedge Antilles that's crazy he's like a rebel hero and getting it from like the flip side of that um which I thought was really cool but this particular story also kind of dealt with the survivor's guilt that he has sort of where he like I don't know people are always like oh you're such a like skilled pilot whatever and he's like okay yeah but like a lot of people were also really good pilots and they're all dead And so it's, there's this really interesting idea of like when it's luck versus when it's skill. Um, And for him, like, yes, he is very skilled, but there's also an element of luck to it where it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter how good of a pilot you are at this point, like anyone can die at any moment. Um, And then sort of like his, like what he does after the Battle of Endor and like what, what kind of person he is when he's not like flying an x-wing or like blowing up the death star like what he's he cares about and values like beyond the fight against the empire um and i like that it kind of gave us this like before and after the destruction of the second death star and like where he like where that mentally places him seeing that like what they fought for ultimately was a success at the end of the day and also Obviously, the prose is incredible because it's Emma Miko Canton, and like, why would it not be? Um, but yeah, that one was just so, so well written. Coincidentally, my number three is also When Fire Marked the Sky went by Emma Miko Canton because Wedge, when I first did like my big rewatch of the movies, Wedge was one of the background characters that I latched onto. So while he's not like as big of my guy as he was before, he is very much still my guy. And reading his stuff in the EU, um, reading, like, especially his perspective in Resistance Reborn, um, when him and Nora are together, who we'll get to later. But like you mentioned before, seeing his survivor's guilt, especially when you get, I think we get a POV of him in From a Certain Point of View, New Hope, and seeing how that still kind of transfers over and how he meditates on it. 
um, throughout like the before the Battle of Endor, during the Battle of Endor, when he literally laughs because he is not dead or something. I, I don't remember exactly when, but it was in that context. And him just kind of meditating on what do I do now? Like, what do I do if I'm not a rebel, a, a rebel alliance pilot? Um, and I think it's it's kind of fitting that his story, when he settles down with Nora, it's been a while since I read Resistance Reborn, but when he settles down with Nora, how he kind of has this life that I think neither of them really imagined that they would have. And I, I really love their relationship. I love their relationship with Snap. I'm also a big Snap person. Um, but yeah, I, I really did enjoy this story for all the reasons Claire mentioned. The the prose again is incredible. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a wedge girly through and through. <laughs> wedge is in some ways wedge is maybe the most prototypical from a certain point of view character because wedge <laughs> is a character that you know we see in the films and even has like a line of dialogue or two and the camera actually like points at him and he has a name and like we kind of know an and he even interacts with like a you know other characters. There's enough. He's enough of a real character that you remember him but he's also not really on screen enough that you really know anything much about him other than like he's a good pilot he seems to be a very competent pilot because he survives all of these things and so he's just such like the the prototypical from a certain point of view character to um expand and give more room to um which is why i think one of the reasons why he ha his character has a story in all three of the anthologies um, and it was really cool having Emma pick up his story from Jason Fry, who wrote, you know, Rendezvous Point in Empire Strikes Ooh, that was Back. Such and a was, good story. Yeah, it was building on that story in a lot of ways. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, for her to to build on it and also just in the way that only someone like Emma, who writes that way, can to just dive so deeply into the all the conflicts that are going on inside of him. His survivor's guilt, as you both mentioned, his extreme sense of duty his extreme sense of like, even if I don't feel a thing, I still have to model a thing because other people are watching me. And so like, it doesn't matter if I don't believe this, I need them to believe it. So I'm going to act as if like all this stuff. And then you're right, that moment in the Battle of Endor, when he laughs and he's like, oh my God, we're all going to die. And he laughs <laughs> and he's like, I never allow myself to think that. And he just, I think that's just like all of his experience in that moment. It's just like, there's literally nothing else for him to do, but sort of laugh. And then of course mm -hmm. he survives, but uh, yeah, it's just crazy. And like Emma, all of Emma's work, you could pull out any line out of that story, any random sentence, and it would just be like, <laughs> it would absolutely undo you, just like to the to the, your very core. Um, you know, uh, it's it's so good. Uh, it's great, um, great to have Emma come write the the wedge story. Feel like Emma, when you mentioned the the thing about the con, all the conflicts going on within him. Emma just writes conflict very well, whether it's internal, whether it's like in like internally or like man versus society or group or whatever. I feel like that especially comes out in a story like Wedge's point of view, where he has this internal battle battle with himself and kind of battling this imposter syndrome, battling this visage that he's had placed upon him by other rebel alliance pilots by the rookies and of course the larger conflict of the rebel alliance versus the empire um so yeah, yeah. love wedge absolutely love emma's writing um okay so do you want to do your second favorite story for your top three 
Yeah. So this is a story that I think, uh, I think it was literally when we did Empire Strikes Back and I was like, you know what story I can't wait for in Return of the Jedi? And now here it is. The dragon snake. It absolutely is the dragon snake. Um, So the story is called The Light That Falls by Akemi Don Bowman. It's about bright eyes, the dragon snake on Dagobah. Um, And it takes place during the moments where Yoda is dying, um, which is obviously an incredibly interesting perspective on Yoda's death of like the creatures that inhabit the world that he lives on. Um, And also something very interesting that kind of got touched on in this story, because at one point Bright Eyes is watching like, um, I can't remember the name of the specific like species of bird, but the birds that live on Dagobah are like behaving strangely as if something has gone wrong. And she doesn't feel what has gone wrong, but she like acknowledge, am I using the right pronouns for Bright Eyes? (laughs) I think it's she. Um, I don't remember. (laughs) I was like, I've been saying she, but it might, anyway point being um that what it kind of like just okay great um (laughs) displaces that like certain animals and like beings in nature can attune to the force differently and like can feel the force differently just like with like humanoid species where like there are certain obviously certain people are like much stronger with the force than others like that's something we've known throughout all of star wars Um, But it was this whole, like, yeah, like, I can tell something is wrong by the behavior of the other animals that inhabit this land, but I myself don't exactly know what it is. Um, And just, yeah, like, the, the, like, literal shockwaves that Yoda's death sends through the environment on Dagobah, because, like, obviously his presence has been very influential, especially due to the fact that other than like the like native animals there isn't really anybody else there and so when like Luke starts showing up it's like a it's that in itself is notable um and that's another thing that gets like talked about in this story um but yeah just the kind of like natural world response to like such a prevalent figure on this planet like becoming one with the force um and how how it like creates like a strange sensation across like every being that is there um and also again it was so well written like so such beautiful language um made me very emotional yeah I I knew I was gonna love this one but it really like did live up to the expectations that I had for a story like this which was really exciting I'm gonna reveal that when I was listening to you talking about uh the space look story in the second from a certain point of view i think you mentioned something about the dragon snake story i was like yeah claire you're really <laughs> you are really gonna <laughs> like it um and yeah you use i could not say anything better about that story it's just incredible um and that akemi chose this idea of i think really showing us perfectly you know every jedi story is always talking about how everything is connected in the force and you're connected to the tree and the rock etc you know like and we all understand that because it's told to us a billion times and we see Jedi lifting things and, you know, listening and interpreting, you know, nature in a way that other people can't, but to just flip the POV and watch nature relate to the, the, you know, becoming one with the force of a, of a, of a Jedi is just, it's just incredible. There's like, there's no dialogue in this story. You know, it's just all the emotion and the description and, uh, 
yeah, it's it's just stunning. It's so good. It's just so good. My number two story for this book, at least, is The Buy-In by Suzanne Walker, which is the Nora Wexley story. Now, I do have to shout out Bestie of the Pod, Kels, because their two favorite characters are Wedge and Nora. So when they were doing the announcements, and then we we first got the Nora Wexley announcement, and then we got the Wedge announcement by Emomiko Candon, I literally texted them. I was like, Kelsey won today. <laughs> I think they were at work, so they came back, and like all of their messages were just people talking about how Wedge is getting a story and Nora is getting a story. But I have only read the first Aftermath book, just because I've been quite literate in other facets. But I had read Nora's story before in Resistance Reborn, which is a very weird way to bounce back and forth in between character, like, places where they are in their life, where you have both Wedge and Nora at this kind of, um, at this state where they really don't want to fight, but they they kind of have to, in a way, to carry on the Luke, the legacy of Luke and Han and the rest of the Rebel Alliance. But in the present moment, when Nora, Wedge, Lando, and another character whose name I'm completely forgetting, um, they're kind of all playing cards before the Battle of Endor to relax, um, drink a little bit, <laughs> and just kind of take in the camaraderie that is kind of like their little sect of the Rebel Alliance. Um, I just think there's some... Fantastic character work for Wedge, for Lando, for Nora. Um, Nora talks about her dark chocolate-covered cherries or something and how she was rationing them throughout the coming months. And she had this notion of, like, well, I should just eat all of them because I'm not going to make it out of this. But then she had to stop herself and be like, no, we can't think like that. I'm going to save these for, for later, for when I come back so I can celebrate. And I feel like Nora and Wedge are very, very similar in that way. And I feel like it makes their pairing, especially in the future, very kind of like, they they just fit together well, like their characters. And yeah, I, I loved the Lando, P, not the POV, but his kind of savvy playing Sabacc with the other Rebel Alliance pilots, because they know that, I'll get into more Lando when we get to his chapter, but just how he uses Sabak to get information out of people where before he was doing that in kind of a nefarious way, but now he's doing it to kind of help the rebel Alliance and help people relax. I just think it was a great story all around. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, something cool to share is that Susan's, uh, so Susan's kind of original concept was wanting to tell a story like right on the cusp of battle so that that night before like even before susan sort of chose a character it was this had this idea of like love to look at what does it look like the night before the battle of endor particularly because for at least a group of the rebels and wedge is one of these people lando is probably one of these people um wes who's the other pilot who who features primarily is probably one of those people but maybe not and Nora ultimately, I think, is how many of them sort of realize that the next day is the last day of the Rebel Alliance? Because either they're going to win and everything might change from there and they're going to strike, you know, the biggest blow possible and probably end the war. 
or it's going to go entirely in the other direction and they probably are all going to die. And so like either way, this is the last night and that tension of who recognizes that and who doesn't and of the people that do, and this is something I think Nora is struggling with both internally and a little externally is like, should she tell other people? If you don't know that, is it more helpful for you to know or is it better for you to sort of have maybe not an understanding of that? Are you going to fight better if you don't have that added pressure of knowing that tomorrow is the last day? And that was such an interesting idea that Susan had come up with. And then she sort of worked her way into like, which character would make the most amazing POV to kind of explore that for both internally and in their relationship to others. And she was just like, Nora is cool. Like Nora Wexley is great. We see her in Aftermath. We know she's in that Y-wing that's flying in the Battle of Endor. So that's where she like put this, um, kind of put this all together. And because she, um, Susan and Emma are good friends and they wanted their stories to complement each other because Emma was doing Wedge, picking Nora obviously allowed a nice, wonderful compliment in terms of the individual characters as well. Yep. Just, yeah, love Wedge and Nora. <laughs> um, so Claire, why don't you do your top number one story? I, I, I actually don't know what this is. I'm excited. Oh, wait, I think I do, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite story in the book was The Chronicler by Danielle Page. It was so funny because I was texting, um, our friend Charles, while I was reading this, he's he's on Twitter talking about Mon Mothma all the time. And so I was like texting him, obviously, after I read No Contingency, because we've been like talking about that story forever. And he was like, I'm expecting another message from you later on, but like, you'll know when you know. And I was like, okay. And then I got to this story and I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what you were talking about because Mon Mothma is also in this story. And she, um, it's basically about this, um, this woman named Dora who's like a an interviewer basically like a, a chronicler for the rebellion um and the purpose of this sort of initiative is to like record the stories of this rebellion which is already a really cool concept and also Mon Mothma has like this line about like wanting as many people as possible capturing like first and second hand accounts of these events which is a really cool like concept for a story um but basically Dora gets tasked with interviewing like Leia, Han, Lan like all those people, the the like the big people of the rebellion. And she's like, oh my God, like I am literally about to interview like some of the most important people in the entire galaxy. And like, what am I, what am I gonna ask them, you know? And so she was like going through these interviews, and all the like interview scenes were so good because it's like really really good perspective on these characters who obviously like don't have POV stories in this book because they are the big characters, but like getting the perspective of like a true, true outsider who is not really a part of the Rebel Alliance in the way that like, she's not like a, a, a fighter, she's not a pilot, she's not Rebel intelligence, any of those things. Perspective on these characters that like, we like, I am at the point where I can no longer have a like, fresh perspective on like Luke Skywalker because I have been watching Star Wars since I was like six years old um but so like getting to read from the perspective of someone who is in the room with these people knowing like how monumental that is and how significant they are but the best one by far is when she interviews Leia and Leia kind of like calls her out and is like 
why are you asking me questions about like my romantic relationship with Han Solo when you should be focusing on like what what we're doing here like that's not why we're here and Mon Mothma kind of says something to the same extent and it's just this really like it's again it's like the stories about storytellers thing where it's like obviously all of Star Wars is a story that is being told to us as like viewers and readers etc but like within the universe like the story of the Rebel Alliance has to be told and like future generations need to hear it and so being the person entrusted with like telling that story and realizing that like maybe you are not going about it the right way all the time and it's like yes these like romantic aspects of it are like interesting and and like you want to know about those things but like that's not why we're here and that's not like the purpose of this sort of like initiative of telling these stories um but yeah just for like all the scenes where she's like sitting down with like literally the heroes of the rebellion asking them like what they're doing here um and I thought it like nailed the voice for all of those people like Han Solo is like perfectly written in this story of course Leo is amazing Mon Mothma but yeah just like all these like really really major characters basically being like put in front of her and being like let's talk about the rebellion um yeah it was such a cool story and like a really cool concept for a story and I, I really love this one this story um uh it's not it's not the it is the second longest story in the anthology i believe that the dune sea uh dune sea songs um story is slightly longer than it um though at one point it was the longest story in as it went through editing so it, it was right there but this story was definitely one of the more audacious concepts that we got um which was exciting because hey it's an original character and anytime you're doing an original character in one of these it's audacious but also just the breadth of it of like an audacious original character and I'm gonna put them in the room with Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Lando Calrissian, and Leia. And that's a really tough thing to do because the hard, the thing that can happen is the moment Luke Skywalker walks in the room, you don't care about the original character anymore. The moment Leia's there, you're not looking at the original. The moment Han is cracking jokes and stuff, like you don't, the other character disappears because it's just like they suck up all of the oxygen on the page. Um, and yeah, Danielle just did this amazing job of making Dora feel as natural to be present in those rooms as those other characters and to use Dora to put these mirrors up to these other characters at these interesting moments. Um, and it was really, it was really incredible to watch her do throughout the whole process of developing the story. Because um, this is like a big, it's like a big swing. <laughs> like it was a huge swing. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that you enjoyed it so much because I think that it paid off really well too. I okay, I'm gonna say something, and this is gonna sound really bad, but I promise it's not. But this <laughs> <laughs> this story made me super uncomfortable, which I think was I think it was kind of the point of that in how Leia called Dora out, and so did Mon Mothma, and it, it, I think it it really just kind of brought me back to like what the point of star Wars is as a whole. And Leia mentioning that, or her question, like, why are you asking me about my romantic life? Let's talk about like the people who actually built this rebellion. Like let's talk about Jess. Let's talk about the other servers and dancers in let's talk about Ula in Jabba's palace. And it not only 
kind of solidified like this um, notion of what are we actually doing here and focusing on like the rebellion and not the kind of gossip that goes on behind the scenes but also it emphasizes the fact that everyone has their own rebellion and like Ula when she I think it was in Dune Sea Songs when um she was talking about how she's gonna resist one day and then unfortunately she does and she gets fed to a raincore for having a mind of her own or how Jess kind of resists and she um she tries to pay back her father's debt but she eventually leaves it's just everybody in their own capacity who's not aligned with the empire or doesn't even care about the empire resists the empire and rebels against the empire in their own little way and ultimately that is the message of the rebellion is that anyone anyone can fight the empire anyone can have anyone can dismantle fascism and i feel like this story really really drove that home for me at least so what i said before it made me uncomfortable but in that good way and it kind of helped me take a step back and think about like these are the normal people that resist the empire every day yeah and I, what what i love too about the way that danielle constructed the story is that sort of dora's initial impression of like i want to know about these things is you can understand it because initially Monch is like, no, 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 you're here to like get the facts. It's like, how did you get out of the cage? Like, how did you do this? Who killed Java? Like, ba 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 ba. And Dora's like, well, I understand that, but like, isn't it also important to record? Like, how did you feel in that moment? How do you feel about each other? Isn't one of the ways we give people hope is to show that even in the middle of a war, even in the middle of a war where there are successes, we saved this person, we won this battle, that like people are finding their way to each other, that connections between people are happening, that friendships and romances and love and all of these things still flourish within like this really, you know, horrific and awful time we live in. And so she's got this perspective that's sort of, it's correct, but then Leia like sort of shows her that like while it's sort of correct, she's still pointed the camera quote unquote in the wrong direction it's just like yeah but the point is that that it's not just about like how i might be doing that or han or anyone else it's like it's how all these other people that your notes don't even clock in any way like your your recordings don't even clock how those people of finding those things and if you really want to inspire hope it's it's about the details of those little people and so it's this way that she sort of builds these layers of this argument about how you how you record the history of a rebellion when, as you wonderfully pointed out, it's like the rebellion is everywhere and within each person and they are all sort of fighting it each way. It's really, really cool. And again, Danielle like had to, it was like a process of layers and moments and like getting the story to each little point um, that like was just really, really awesome to watch in her different revisions and edits. Um, and of course, getting all those voices right because Man, when, when Han Solo doesn't sound like Han Solo, like he's spotted a mile away. When Leia says a word that you're like, Leia would never say that word. Uh, everybody knows, like it's so clear. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad that this ended up at the top of uh, uh, one of the lists. 100%. My favorite story, my number one story is The Burden of Leadership by Danny Lohr. As I mentioned before, I am a Lando girly through and through. I loved the the Lando chapter, and I think it was A New Hope. 
when he's at the he's at the bar with Lobot and he's playing Sabacc. That that one like game of Sabacc where you had to press a button and you have to guess guess if your if your card is like higher or lower than the other person's card. Um, I definitely want to play that. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but we will. But in this chapter specifically, he he mentions the people that he brought back with him from Cloud City, and that actually happened in Star Wars 2020 in the arc where Leia, Luke, and Lando go back to Cloud City to try and get Han or find Luke's lightsaber, but they can't find it, and an Ugnaught finds it, but that's besides the point. But Lando brings back this kind of cohort of people that followed him at that followed him when he tried to rescue them from the Empire being on Cloud City. And I think one of the important things that he notes there is that these are people who either don't like the Empire, are kind of indifferent to the Empire, or only followed Lando because he's Lando. And the main kind of skirmish throughout the conflict is this character who Lando doesn't, like, I don't want to say respects, but it's kind of one of those relationships where you hate him, but you love him kind of thing. And it's this, it's ultimately this conflict between someone who is for the rebellion and someone who turned to the rebellion because they had no other choice. And I feel like Lando was the perfect person to tell this story from because he has been so many things within his lifetime. I mean, he, he's been a smuggler. He's been a gambler. He's been a playboy. He's been the, he's been the Baron administrator of Cloud City. He's been a businessman. He's basically been everything. So it's, it's, I think it was perfect, again, to choose him to reaffirm the belief of this, again, this cohort of people that he brought from Cloud City and help them help reaffirm their belief in what they were doing even if they weren't like partial to the rebellion or the empire they just kind of went um because they wanted to get off cloud city i think again he was the perfect choice because you can see the growth and how far he's come from his smuggling gambling days well i mean he still gambles but professionally i guess and i i think the the little one of the things, again, I love about Lando is because of his years playing Sabacc and gambling, he can read someone's body language from a mile away. And one of the part, what, in during the conflict when he notices that the guy steps on his cape and he basically says, like, this guy has no respect for me, that I feel like is a tentpole of Lando's character and how he, like, reads people and how he changes his words, which he did mention he did to get his message across and eventually he calms the skirmish down and they all continue um working for the rebellion um just throughout the battle of endor so yeah love the lando chapter absolutely love all of the stories that he's been in in across from a certain point of views um yeah just love lando <laughs> Um, okay. Do we have any final thoughts before we move into Kessel Run Book Club? It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Do you, I know that both of you like, you know, read through all of them in a relatively short amount of time. So how does it feel to have like binged 120 <laughs> stories over you know i don't know that we i don't know that we built these with the intention that anyone was going to read all three of them in like a <laughs> you know two month period or whatever 
Um, it's vindication, I think. It's a culmination of what reading all those stories has been to. And yeah. I think reading them in such, sort, sh- such a short succession of time is you really get to see how each writer connects with their story and how they tell it and how they bring parts of that into their other stories and how characters change across the stories like I just mentioned with Lando um, Wedge also gets a lot of I think growth and development within the stories but yeah I have enjoyed this experience very much and I look forward to the future from a certain point of views which I hope are coming <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just focused on the fact that we finished three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not even, not even thought a day, uh, not even thought a moment ahead of just trying to get the third one done. Um, and that is very valid of you. <laughs> but no, that that's great. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that folks have really kind of embraced it, embraced the trilogy and the series like that. And I love just people being like, I love like every time somebody watches like an episode of a thing and they're just like can't wait to see the uh you know can't wait to see the from a certain point of view story about like that character in (laughs) 70 years for the you know from a certain point of view like the obi-wan kenobi show and like the fact that that is now like a kind of common joke that people make around characters who pop up in a comic or in a book or in a tv show or something like that is um one, it gives me a bit of anxiety <laughs> because they'll always be clocking the year at which that book might come out. And I'm like, I will be so old. Uh, but, but it is also like really heartwarming that it's sort of become a f- part of the fabric of the conversation around, um, around Star Wars and stuff like that. So that's very cool. And I was actually just doing this today, but talking about like who we'd want to see, like write the characters and talking about how their like past works, like Alexander Freed, um, how they might write like one of our favorite characters. I feel like that's also a really fun um, facet of what these story or what these, what this trilogy has allowed for like storytelling to be, I guess. Yeah, it's it's just like opened up so many possibilities for the kinds of stories, but also the people who can tell them, you know, mm-hmm. as we talked about, there's a hun- 108 unique uh, authors contributed to this trilogy and so many of them, I believe the number, I believe it's over 70%, I have to go double check in, but I believe over 70% of them were like making their Star Wars debut or at least their Star Wars fiction debut. And you know, maybe they had written nonfiction or something like that. And so it's not just the, the 108 as a big number, but the number of people that like, this is their first, this is their first moment stepping into telling a Star Wars story, um, you know, and hopefully not their last moment. And in many cases, actually not their last, just their first moment. So that too is just like this cool, this cool thing that um, is part of the legacy of these books um, and hopefully, you know, spins forward. Um, year after year yeah (laughs) Um, all right moving on to Kessel Run Book Club we have just a couple excuse me we have just a couple comics that came out within the past couple weeks Um, we'll start with Bounty Hunters 37 Claire I'm in the trenches right now (laughs) it is it is quite it is quite literally abysmal for me. <laughs> it's really 
it's really dark right now <laughs> it's so hard to be a valence enjoyer right every, now every week every it's week i am just catching strays left and right Ugh. the trenches literally um the last page <laughs> Literally every time it's like, okay, he's finally like gonna get better. Not and the psych. Like, just kidding. Oh yeah. my god. It, it I do have I do have to say, shout out to Ethan, my Star Wars Volume One enjoyer with Tark Ligzon and the Droid Moon. I gotta say, love that aspect. Don't love what you're doing to Valance though. Just <laughs> Malone. <laughs> Um, also, the preview for 38 released today, and I'm very glad that he's not in it, because I would have... I I was at Sephora when it dropped, like, <laughs> I can't act like that in public. But anyway, um, it, it, it was good. <laughs> Thumbs up. Thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs down for how I was feeling after, but yeah. for it was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Hyperspace Stories number eight, which was a Kylo and Hux kind of team up. Now listen, <laughs> I, I hate Hux, but in that way that you hate like a little, like scruffy, like poofy white dog that doesn't start, that doesn't stop barking. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, agree. I just can't take him seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I learned that he licked up mysterious liquid off the floor I, I i just can't take him seriously Wait, when did that happen <laughs> lore drop his age of resistance comic from 2019 uh i forget who did that series that anthology series but his <laughs> his story like his one shot is him licking stuff up stuff up off the floor because his dad forced him to interesting it, I, I just, I, I can't take him seriously now. He's just <laughs> always this screaming little rat dog to me. <laughs> and Kylo is there too. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I've been enjoying Hyperspace Stories. I think the the next one is the Quinlan Boss issue, which makes me so very excited. Very happy for Quinlan to return to Dark Horse because his stint in the Star Wars and the Republic title, absolutely amazing. I hope they bring back at least some of it because what he did, they kind of touched on it a little bit in Dark Disciple, but it really, like, Quinlan's a cool character and I'm excited to see kind of how they, they, they fit all that into like a 24 issue one shot. I'm excited for that. And I feel like the last two, oops, I counted wrong. <laughs> um, we have four, not five comics. Oops, there's a reason why I'm not a math major. But I feel like these last two we can kind of talk about intertwined. Um, and that is Dark Droids number two and Star Wars 38. There's one page in Dark Droids 32, or not 32, number two. Dark Droids 32. <laughs> There's one page that, like, everybody I've talked to experienced this, but when they, like, flipped to the page and, like, was were reading it and, like, 
digested the panels, everyone went, oh my god! And they had a visceral reaction. It's the page when the Scourge droids are, like, testing out human arms and legs and bodies. And they are, like, they they wired them to the to their chassis. I don't know. Really weird. But I, this crossover, again, I've been kind of staying my thoughts on it because it's a pretty good crossover. Um, but yeah, this, I am really enjoying this kind of horror aspect that's being leaned into. I mean, of course it's September, so it's bound to get a little spooky, but I mean, I've been enjoying it for the most part. I think Dark Droid or D Squad comes out next week, which is fun and exciting. Um, but moving into the Star Wars 38 part of that, I, Lando and Lobot, I, I've, I've said this before, I love their relationship. I gotta get Lobot out of there. Like, free my boy, please. <laughs> they're back on, they're back at Jabba's palace because they have to get the translator droid, which the translator droid that was dropped off at Jabba's palace was supposed to be, uh, like a protocol droid replacement, but it was bad, so he got sent to the droid foundry with EV-99, who also has a point-of-view story in from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. And the the virus kind of takes them over from there and makes them go crazy. Um, once again, free my boy Lobot, please. <laughs> Somebody just fix him. <laughs> um, we're once again in a period of like all the interconnected comics where like everything is really bad. <laughs> <Yeah. for everyone. laughs> it's just abysmal like, for everybody. Going through a bunch of shit. I I can't. Everyone's suffering. I know. <sighs> it's it's abysmal for <laughs> the characters right now. <laughs> and fun fact, going back to Dark Droids number two, every time they kept talking about um, the vessel or whoever, and they were talking about Darth Vader, I did in fact think they were talking about balance. Not the vessel. I was thinking about <laughs> the vessel from the High Republic. Yeah. Actually, Geode is still out there, and the Scourge is taking over his ship. He told me himself. Like, we have no idea how long he lives. Okay, I'm just <laughs> it's true. I mean, he is a rock. <laughs> exactly. What is anyway? <laughs> <laughs> he he can stick around for long enough. I believe. But <laughs> um, okay. I mean, that's all the the com the Star Wars comics at least I read that we have for today. Um, oh, also, I, I forgot about this, but Darth Vader, what is it, 37, and Obi-Wan Kenobi both came out this week. I did not read them, so I will stay my opinion on them. I also haven't read them yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. behind on my Star Wars comics right now, it's really... Yeah, I unfortunately... <laughs> I, I read too many comics... So I am just perpetually up to date with them. So I've like been reading more books recently, which like oh yeah, because I have not been reading that many books this year. Um, so it's okay, comics. I I'll get to you. So true. I've I've been pretty book literate this month. Not much comic literate. I've only read two comics this month, which is embarrassing. But now that our comics are done. We can move into our literacy updates. So, 
I've been kind of less literate than I was a couple weeks ago just because I was finishing from a certain point of view. But once I finished that, I moved into and finished as of this morning Tales of Light and Life by various people, including Tessa Gratton, Alyssa Wong, Charles Soule, Kevin Scott, uh, Dr. Lydia Kang, um, Justina Ireland. There's more Daniel Jose Older. Am I forgetting anybody? Um, Zoraida Cordova. Zoraida Cordova. That might be. I have no idea. I can't. I don't have it out in front of me, but it's on my shelf. Yeah, just a lot of the fantastic authors from the High Republic, they all came back to write a story within the YA anthology. And as of finishing this morning, the Marta story was still my favorite. That Marta story drove me crazy. I I, I think I'm literally going to like read it again after we hang up because it was so, so, so good. And besides that, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying I'm very excited. That's my weekend plans. Yeah. I will probably read the entire book this weekend. Oh, you'll devour it. And that's I know you plan. like evil women. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's a good week. That's a good weekend. Yeah, exactly. It's true. You're going to devour that Marta chapter. I tell you that. <laughs> so much. I'm obsessed with her. And I mean, the only non-Star Wars comic that I read was Hunger in the Dust number two by G. Willow Wilson, which again, shout out to Leah. She couldn't be here today, but I was DMing her as I was reading it. I was going insane. We talked about it a little bit before when we were starting the episode, but the art by, I forget, I always forget the artist's name. It's like Chris Wild Goose or something like that. The art is fantastic. The coloring just makes everything feel so homey and so just warm. And then the story, there's like three different plots going on. There's the the romance, the the kind of like fantasy plot of the, the humans versus the orcs. There's the orcs and the humans making an alliance to fight the Vangal. And then there's the wedding plot between um, the, the cousin orc who i can't remember and his wife fandra i think i don't know i'm obsessed with it he, i need he to like read murdered it that wolf, and then he was oh like, my god he like hugs her and then she he knows she's the one and then they get married like love it i i just i wish it wasn't by bi- bi-monthly because yeah no i'm I really just <laughs> I just need more. And the next issue comes out in October and I, I'm just impatient. I, I can't wait that long. It's so good. <sighs> well, Claire, how has your literacy been faring? Um, my literacy has actually been good, shockingly. Um, <laughs> I, so I, well, okay, this is kind of embarrassing because I brought up this book, I think when we did A New Hope and said that I was starting it, um, and it's like a hundred pages and I just finished it, but it like, I, I, I took a break from it to read, like from a certain point of view and like other stuff in August. So it wasn't like, it took me like two months to read a hundred pages. Um, because I read the last, like, I read like 75% of it yesterday and finished it. Um, but it's called the salt grows heavy by Cassandra Kaw. And it's about like this mermaid and this plague doctor. It's like, it's horror it's it's a lot of like body horror which I didn't think I was gonna like but I actually thought it was really good um and they basically have to like 
rescue these children that are part of this religion where their like saints are like killing them and using their body parts to like make themselves immortal it's like really nasty um and like grotesque but it's so good um and then I started I just started um another one of her books because I was like I need to read more um called Nothing But Blackened Teeth which is like a haunted house story but it's based in like Japanese folklore um and I just started that I'm very excited but it's been very good they're also like they're novellas so they're like on the short side and I'm like that's good because I'll read them in like one sitting um and once again I'm still making my way through Saga oh my god wait I literally have to finish by Wednesday I know I I am making myself do it um what issue are you on so good I just need to like I think I'm on volume like seven I think I have like four volumes left oh yeah it the last couple volumes go really really quickly (laughs) that's all I'll say about that like telling me that they're scared for me and I'm like yeah no once you start you can't stop that's how I was when I read the first volume when I read the first seven issues I was like nope gotta read this all the way through and I read it I read all 65 issues within like a week (laughs) yeah no it's it really does go very fast like it really like hooked me within the first couple issues um Mm -hmm. but yeah I'm like I have to be caught up by the time like it kept getting delayed and I was like this is great (laughs) it's a sign (laughs) It is actually next week. I need to finish. <sighs> well, how has your literacy been faring, <laughs> Editor, Editor Tom? <laughs> um, it's faring okay. I think most of it has been directed at um, actually doing some editing work. This, I go through these these periods of the year where I will have a lot of things to like actively edit, not just things that like, oh, the author is writing the manuscript. So like, I'm not actively editing that. I'm just waiting. Um, but I will go through these periods of the year. And one of them is right now where I have a bunch of things like actively on my desk that I need to be actively editing, whether it's uh, a first draft manuscript or vision, uh, maybe outlines. And at those times of the year, like I don't actually do the most of my literacy is, is reserved for that. And so I don't actually do a lot of extraneous reading. Um, but then there'll be other points of the year where it's a little bit free. So like, I'm not totally reading anything now, but the last two things that I read that I was able to sort of sneak in over the summer when things were a little bit more fallow and I was like traveling for San Diego Comic-Con and stuff is um, I, when I read, I often try to read things that are not at all related to what I work on um, because you just, I have that thing where I won't totally be able to turn my work brain off. I'll be like, oh, I wonder how I would have edited this thing. Or, <laughs> or I'll be reading it with like, I wonder if this author would like to write a Star Wars story, which is wonderful and great. But, you know, sometimes you're like, I just want to like read to enjoy something. You know, I don't want to read 100%. with like a worth in my head. So one of the things that I read a ton of, because it's so different from what I do, is I read a ton of books that are just about food. I read a ton of food writing books and f- history of food and the history of like cooking and culinary traditions and stuff. Um, so there's two small books that I was reading. One is this book called How to Cook a Wolf, which is an amazing title, which is a small essay book by an author, M.K. Fisher. It's a book that was originally written in the 1940s, and it was written as a series of essays about living in the United States at the time when there was a lot of rationing, of course, because World War II is going on. And so 
a lot of rationing and how that affected the type of food that people could serve in their homes and the type of food that people could cook. And this author wrote these amazing essays about encouraging people to like think, create, still think creatively and still think about cooking and food in this wondrous way, even at a time when everyone was like very much rationing, like how much meat you had available to you and how much food overall you had. Um, and even though the essays were originally written in the 40s, they have this kind of timeless quality to them about your relationship with food and how to think about food in times of both scarcity and times of plenty. So it's really cool. And again, A plus title, like how to cook a wolf, like amazing. Um, and then the second is a very like down the middle title. It's literally a book that's called A Short History of Spaghetti, Spaghetti with Tomato Sauce um, by Massimo Montanari, which is exactly how it sounds. It's a very small book <laughs> that is just about the history of the dish, Spaghetti with Tomato Sauce. Where does it come from? What is its origins? How has it evolved over the years? This book is like not even it's not even a hundred pages and honestly like 20 of those pages are like indexes and references it's just this funny little book that is a history of this one specific dish um that both of those books i really enjoyed um and were nice breaks from the literacy of actually doing the work of an editor um which is great and fun but also intense and uh needs needs its own breaks now and then mm -hmm. uh not unlike when you're like in school like not unlike oh, being yeah. in school and having all that like school reading to do and all that stuff that like really requires this level of uh mental investment and you're just like if you if you have the need or feel to want to read other things you like want to find something as far away from as as possible and something that you can you can uh experience completely differently so I feel like that's kind of why I steer more towards like comic reading in the school year, just because yeah. I read so many words every single day. Like sometimes it's just nice to look at pretty pictures. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I play I play a lot of video games, and I think that's a similar thing. Which like I actually want to get away from the written word, and mm -hmm. so I'll you know play something that's interactive and something that is talking to me because that's so so much different than what I'm staring at all the time. I do have to ask you. Have you heard of this guy on TikTok who does nothing but make sandwiches and talk about the history behind them? Probably not because I'm not really on TikTok. Now, that sounds very cool. I think um, he also has kind a blog. Ticking and talking that I would be into. <laughs> um, His username is... on TikTok is Sandwich Idiot. And I it don't is. remember, I think the title of his blog is called sandwich tribunal where he literally just writes he makes sandwiches research the, researches them and writes about that that is a plus that's awesome i am going to check that out excellent sandwich tribunal <laughs> sandwich idiot this is this is incredible well on that note i have to say thank you both to claire and editor tom for joining me in this conversation today and i've had a lot of fun doing this series with everybody and seeing like reactions and talking about like our favorite parts of the book um and just talking through like with you tom a bit of the creative process um i really did enjoy the series and i i just i had a lot of fun chatting with you guys um if you'd like to email us our email is kesselrunrelaypod at gmail.com. It'll also be linked in the description. All of our socials will be linked in the description as well. And in addition to that, all of the links to the strike funds for the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. 
those will be in the description um hopefully we'll come back within the next few weeks with i with a ya star wars book we haven't exactly nailed down what that is yet but we will be having more book centric um episodes again in the future um but yeah thank you guys so much for listening and may the force be with you